The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. This is the Anime Roundtable Canada on this Saturday evening, February 5th, 2022. You can contact us online on the web, animeroundtable.com, Twitter and Instagram, at animeroundtable, and email, animeroundtable at gmail.com. Good evening from Toronto, Mike Nicholas, James Austin, and Mohamed Shamarki with you tonight. We're only going three around the table. Jeff, I know, has had an exhausting week at work, so he wanted to catch up on his sleep. Kevin is somewhere downtown, we presume, caught up in the truckers protest. You know, somewhere between Bloor and Avenue, you know. Well, hopefully he's on his feet in in a vehicle, as they say. Yeah, on that note, hey Mo, thanks for visiting today at work. Yeah, you know, just you know, I, I had I had a couple extra minutes. I thought I might get get this uh, get this third shot. For reference, James, uh, Mo visited the clinic while I was working today, so it was the first time I'd seen Mo since. Previous Last visit? Shot. Yeah, since his previous visit. Did he give you the same wave? No, I just, uh, what'd I do? What'd I do, Mo? I, I, I just told you, the you nurse. Stood, to, you stood to in the corner and looked very disappointed. Oh, that's <laughs> No, I, I think, I, I thought I told the nurse to lean into, lean into the needle. Oh, that's God. It. So, <laughs> how are you feeling, by the way? Uh, you know, good, good. You know, but no, you haven't felt any um any nope. side effects yet. Nope, nope. I mean, honestly, it's smooth sailing. Well, what did what did you feel last time? Uh, soreness. You know, tired a bit. Other- yeah, that was it. The tired part was is a common one though. A lot so, of times, it's the day after too. Well, yeah. Well, tomorrow's Sunday. You have a day off, right, Mo? Uh, yes, fingers crossed. Yeah. So well. At least you weren't blocked from getting here. Um, quick COVID update, and it's I'm sure if you've been keeping up with the news here, uh, well, you've heard a lot about some sort of truckers' protest going on throughout, well, at least in Ottawa, but this weekend, as we're taping this, it's pretty much every provincial capital, or most, ha- are seeing a version of it. And it's happening in Toronto this week. It's happening in at least Vancouver. Okay, not a capital, but a major city. I know they had it in Quebec. I'm not sure. I'm guessing it was probably Montreal, and I know in Alberta, even before this, well, they've had the one in Ottawa. They've had an issue at the U.S.-Canada border in Alberta with trucks Mm -hmm. blocking uh, ways there, right? Right. Mm -hmm. All the while, there's 
the numbers, and as I said, when as we said a couple weeks ago, when the variant came and the the province kind of held numbers because they they felt that uh, there wouldn't be an accurate picture anymore because of the lack of testing resources. The only thing you can really say it is deaths now, COVID deaths within Ontario. And I know in the last week they'd been, what, in the 60, 70 range per day. I don't know if that's high. I haven't been, I, I, can't, I forget a comparison these days. Hospitalizations have gone down slightly. So I guess that's a conversation. And, you know, up to, uh, there's been vaccination numbers are okay. I mean, I, there isn't really much else to really add right now. It's just that two years in almost, we are approaching 23 months now, or at least I'm saying that on a personal level. But I think we're all, fatigue is a, is a might be overused word, but at this point, it's just I think we're just all seeing our own version of it in some form. And some of it's come to a head over the last couple of weeks. It just it's it's just funny. The when I finally concede that we're gonna try and do stuff for this podcast and for the whole anime roundtable world on a weekly basis, we take a week off last week. And even this week, we're kind of shorthanded. Going only three around the table this week. And honestly, we're all, um, I guess we're just all busy right now, too. Right? We all have at least something to do during the regular week, whether it's our regular jobs or our temporary jobs. But we all have something to do right now. And I guess uh, that's an okay thing. Some sort of normal us so much so that i uh, can't say we've uh, been able to really keep up with uh, various goings on but we'll try our best uh, at least this week just to you know just do our usual stuff and maybe lots of it i think is just going to be a follow-up on stuff we've already talked about at one point or another in the pandemic series and i get the feeling you'll be able to look back on, where are we now? On the 42 plus episodes we've done in the pandemic series, plus all the other stuff. And you'll be able to, at least every topic I think we'll come up with this evening, we've alluded to in some form. And we're just kind of following it up. Uh, you agree with that, that uh, thought, guys? I would uh, say so, yeah. It's uh, one of those things where there's only so much going on in the anime world, right? So you never know what's going to pop up and things like that. And I know we're going to have a little banter at the beginning here about uh, the the two most lovable, corrupt uh, sporting organizations that do it for the sports and the athletes, known as the IOC and FIFA. Yeah, so that's a good one. Okay, which one do you want to go with? 
Go go ahead. Let Mo pick. Pick what do you want to do? Hey man, we're 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 so close to finally getting in there, man. Just a few more wins. No, as James Sherman said, he said it would be the biggest flub up if Canada doesn't make it. That's for sure. Their biggest ever. James James uh, James Sherman is one of the uh, foremost footy commentators in Canada, and he used to host uh, host English Premier League coverage in Canada on on Sportsnet. Sportsnet doesn't have Premier League rights now, but he's but Sportsnet does keep him as the as a commentator. Yeah, so and I, that was one of his things when he was talking on Sportsnet. Yeah. And, did a hit for Sportsnet after Canada got through the latest round of World Cup qualifying undef- uh, undefeated. Uh, yeah, three, undefeated. three, three wins. They're still undefeated altogether, but they had three wins in a row, which nobody expected them. And the two to- South, Amer- well, not uh, Central American uh, countries as well, Saint Salvador mm-hmm. and Honduras, I believe. So, well, there, there's a talking point about about the aftermath of this round of qualifying because both the U S and Canada played the North card in the last number of qualifying windows, especially over the last week. U S played their two home games in cold conditions in Columbus and the coldest ever national team game in Minnesota. And that game against Honduras, uh, got two people plucked from the Honduran side when they suffered from hypothermia. People called it a pretty pathetic display and desperate move by the U.S. to want to do something like that. But then again, Canada plays a similar game. They played it against Mexico in Edmonton back in November and then Hamilton last week against the U.S. And they won those games. I wouldn't feel too sorry, Mike, given that we know the shenanigans that has always played in CONCACAF. And I'm not sure if they can do it what they did before, but I know I was reading up on the last team that got to the final qualifying, which was in 1998 with Craig Forrest and stuff like that. And their stories of going to Central America and having like being in a stadium full of people having urine-soaked bags and dirty, shitty diapers thrown at them. Yeah, I, I like The heat and that... And then in some of them, I think one of them, they went to go and try to get into the stadium to train and the two security guards with semi-automatics or machine guns is basically like, we're not going to let you in. And basically one of the Team Canada guys said, we're just going to walk our way in. And somehow they managed to get in without a fi- uh, something going or something happening, like a fist flying or guns going. But that was incredible. But the other thing is one of those trips down to Central America when they were leaving and like they got shellacked they finished last in 1998 for that one but their spirit was pretty much gone but one of yeah, those games when they were leaving they said it was a tough it was a loss in that and they were leaving and supposedly they didn't have enough room on the bus and it was like a school bus so they weren't getting the same treatment our guys are getting now because they had to go, I guess, commercial, and then they went on the school bus. They said, we don't have enough room for your luggage, so we'll have some guys take your luggage and follow you behind to the airport. And when they got to the airport, some of the guys had their uh, suitcases picked clean, so to speak, by those nice fellas. Yeah. That was not a good feeling, they said, and that was in 1998. 
I'm saying don't apologize. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that, the assessment. Well, the people who are complaining about the weather, they're probably also the same people who complain that the North American or the U.S. and Canadian soccer seasons don't coincide with much of the rest of the world. Well, there's a reason that's not the case. But yet, you know, they, they give them grief if they were willing to leverage that fact. But okay. But it's been uh, a tough road. But if they finally uh, get there uh, to Cotter, it's like crazy because most people in Canada can't remember a Canadian men's team ever making it to the World Cup. And me and you were the only two on this podcast right now alive when that happened in 86. I and they barely. didn't score a goal, supposedly, in that. So I guess oh, there's going to be did. an over-under. Can the Canadian men score a goal if they do qualify? And the other one, what ha- they will they end up in the group of death? Oh, yeah. Well, th- th- oh, that's And the then there's people. one last over-under, we should say. Will we see some Canadian flags on cars if they do make it to the World Cup when the World Cup is actually played? Because we know how many, much people love to put flags on cars. I mean, they're going to use it for something, right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a tradition for here in Nor- in uh, in at least Toronto. I barely remember Canada making the World Cup, right? I knew at that point in the uh, early '80s that soccer was a bit of a thing. I even played it as a kid, like when I was like a five, six years old. And when they made the World Cup in 86, I didn't realize how big of a thing it was. I just thought, one, it was interesting that they, they, that the tournament was, you know, there was this type of tournament because I was, I, I started to become old enough and aware of these things. And I thought, hey, it's nice that they're there. Can't wait to, let, uh, let's see the next time they're there. And we've waited all this time. Almost almost 40 years, 36 years, if they're able to get in. Well, when they're able to get in. I, I'm confident that they will, too. And One win. One they've win. been so bad, too, right? Like, they've had so many years where they just were getting shellacked and stuff like that, and then there was so much public apathy. So I think a lot of them, especially the players and everyone, are just happy to see all this public support, and they're hoping it turns into, and I know John Herdman, the coach is especially hoping that corporate Canada will kind of say, okay, these boys are really at it and give some more money to the Canadian soccer association. So they'll get some money, but also that'll trickle down to the women's game, which has always been uh, very good in Canada and strong in Canada. And he was their coach. And he said, well, we have to get the men's team back on track too. Well, I think that was part of the reason why he left the women's program. He was very clear on that. I know. He was clear that he said, well, they're not, they're underfunded, but the only way they can get any of the money, any more money is if the men pull up their socks too. And I think some of it is, it takes time to develop talent. And MLS, remember, it started in the late 90s in that, and it helped the US probably even more. But then once they expanded and then got teams into Canada and got, Canadian, more Canadian content and men into that uh, league, it helped uh, bolster us too. But it definitely 
takes time to develop that talent to get those Alfonso Davies and those other ones that maybe have a bit of time in MLS and then get that transfer to either the Premier League or one of those better leagues in uh, Europe. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Actually, it was funny on those three games too, remember, because, you know, it's 2022. We said they uh, won those games, but they won them without uh, Davies being there. All he was doing was streaming on Twitch, cheering on his... uh, his boys uh, just watching the games in his gamer chair. It's like, wow, 2022 yeah, in a dad, nutshell. His dad sitting beside him with his dad sitting Yeah, beside no, him. of course. Yeah, that was and, something. And the, thing is, and the thing is, it was just him. There was no images from the game itself. It was just him watching. Yeah, no, it was just a reaction. Because, you know, then it would be taken down. We'll oh. talk about that a bit later on in another in a form more, that's more relatable to the show. Okay, so we we're done with the um, uh, first corrupt sports organization. Let's go to the other one. And we've talked Olympics before. We did a space heater chat after the first weekend of. The oh Tokyo. shit! When's when's the Olympics? That's probably the feeling. Yeah, right it just snuck snuck up on his dinner and stuff like that because we started to hear about it. I want to say. On Wednesday, because they had some sports doing some preliminary stuff there, right? Before we got to the Friday. The yeah, women's family. hockey and... Curling. Cur- mixed curling, curling I believe. Mixed doubles curling. Canada is there, but they're certainly not the top of the standings there. Diddly out of all teams. And I think round-robin play ends later today, or overnight. Toronto time. So... Canada has to finish top four to be able to get to the semis. And then they'll finish that off probably within the next couple of days. So the regular curling competition uh, will um, can commence not too long after at the uh, swimming pool, the ice cube. Yeah. Like, okay. Now you know why you don't want to, like, overdo the Olympics sometimes. Barely six months out from Tokyo. And in many respects, you're right. It, it, the Beijing Winter Olympics has kind of snuck up on people. And I, I, this is almost a regurgitation of what, what Mohammed and I talked about back in, back in July and August. And that's How do you feel about all of this? It's just, there's a meh feeling to it right now. Like, like there was a degree of apathy back in the summer. And that was after a year of delays. And I think I can almost, on a personal level, amplify that. The funny part is, it, it, it's, it, it feels like... It's a deja vu all over again feeling because when the Olympics started in Tokyo, I was working at said clinic. As this Olympics begins, I'm working at said clinic again. So there's a Groundhog Day feeling with all of this. I mean, and wasn't that a few days ago as well? Yeah, yeah, it was. Actually, I think competition began on on Groundhog Day. Look, 
is there like, uh, do you feel any buzz for this? Because I'll be honest, I don't, and I love watching the Olympics normally. Yeah, I, just like, don't, I don't think there's a buzz. There's definitely we've been hearing uh, obviously things ramping up and stuff like that. A lot of the countries are boycotting on a diplomatic oh. level, and we kind of definitely saw that. If you ha- saw a bit of the opening ceremonies about the two leaders that were uh, bromancing together, yeah, yeah, your, your two favorite dictators. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it's just, I for me, I just don't. I, I, it's not. It's more than just the the issues, like the specific Chinese issues. To me, it's just. Once again, we're barely six months out of Tokyo. We're still in the middle of this pandemic. The restrictions. There's limited. There's limited. Fans in the stands again. If not empty, but yeah, they said the 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 people at the opening ceremonies, and I guess they they had a specific way of how they were doing ticketing. It sounds like they've locked down certain areas. They're obviously being more aggressive than uh, Tokyo was, and they can be. And they've been aggressive about who they're letting in from media and all these other things. And it's very much it sounds like how it's they test much- people and things like that because Devin Haru got caught up in that, so he had to stay home. And some people, I think, from CBC went, but all the people from NBC, it sounds like pretty much all of them are doing it out of Connecticut. So that's going to be tough to cover the games if you're covering them remotely like that. Nick Tarico's there now, from what I understand, but he won't be much longer because he has to come back to L.A. to do the Super Bowl as well, which which is interesting because NBC has both the Olympics on the go and the Super Bowl next next weekend. Just it's a real interesting thought. I think and, we know which it, event they're not going to tape delay. Yeah, probably not. The funny part is Mike Tirico might do one of the longer shifts you'll ever see a sports anchor do because he's set to host the Super Bowl and then host the evening coverage from the Olympics as well afterwards. Keep an eye on him. It'll be quite interesting. But... As I said, we're barely in. I only saw, just for reference, about uh, the last third of the opening ceremony. So there's stuff in it I missed. I guess I'll check out the replay and uh, and some, maybe some of the more poetic words that I know probably would have came up from the various commentators who did the opening ceremony. Mainly the... And then I'm sure you had Groundhog Day fever too, because remember, it was at the same stadium, the 2008 uh, Summer Olympics were held so it was held at the bird nest as well not as flamboyant but uh still uh an interesting facility and it's interesting as they kept on mentioning the first city to host both summer and winter uh, games interesting enough which you would think would have happened before right it's so weird to think that no it is well 2008 was a shock and awe type opening ceremony the sense I got. Yeah, the fireworks ceremony. Like they said, no one's been able to really replicate that ever since that happened. And I don't think even if Toronto went, we could put on that quite that big of a show when, because they basically had unlimited budget. They didn't have to worry about citizens being angry about spending a ridiculous amount of money on all that well, flash and awe, right? Sure. And my point being, is it just like, you probably saw 
the ceremony more than I did, but it felt a lot more subtle, I, at least when you put it side by side. And I think some of it, like, they probably were going to do the same, right? But I bet you COVID kind of yeah. turned the tables on them and stuff I like think- that because they had a whole plan of how they were going to portray themselves to the world and use that same tactic. But they were still portraying a certain way, trying to show their best, like, quote unquote, but they had to do it a different way. They couldn't go full on, especially in COVID. Yeah, I think I, I guess that's the sense I got, at least from what little I saw of the ceremony. But there I'll was more- subtle, like, jabs at the West, so to speak. With, well, that's uh, not, the criticism yeah. was weep leveled, especially who uh, took the torch uh, to the final uh, end, so to speak. Sure, that's another story altogether. Okay. I'll, I'll try to watch, I admit, but I might be a little bit on the busy side. It's going to be tough for uh, me, too, as well. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I know we missed out on a gold uh, a day ago or whatever. Uh, Kingsbury, uh, supposedly, in, was it the freestyle? Uh, Moguls. Moguls exactly or whatever. Right, got beaten at the- yeah, but he got silver, I think. And even in Japan, because his one rival is Japanese, uh, he got the bronze and stuff like that. But it was a sweet. Supposedly, they said it was tough. It was a tough, like, it was really cold, they were saying. It was a tough run really? for all of them. Okay. Anyway, uh, we'll, I, I know we'll say a little bit more as things go along. But yeah, Devin Haru, that's a, that's an interesting thing to have mentioned. He's not there. And he went viral when, in Tokyo last summer for his various exploits in getting around whatever he could do there. especially. In- and it sounds like they were able probably to get around more there than anyone would be in Beijing. Because I bet you they're kind of almost like a weird semi-quarantine, I would think. Um, I think, I think the, uh, the, the word bubble has often been used in describing it. Anyway, I don't know what else to add there, so let's move on. As I said, this is mainly a follow-up. Which one do you want to go with? Do you want to go with uh, definite, uh, Totally Not Mark? Do you want to go there, or do you want to talk a little bit on the video game side of a little bit of aftermath concerning the Activision Blizzard Microsoft deal? Any- uh, it doesn't matter to me. Which one do you want to do, Mike? Okay, let's... Let's quickly go back to the uh, to video games for a couple minutes. Supposedly, the arms race is still uh, well, continuing on, as they say. Now, this one. Well, let's yeah, let's acknowledge. Okay, let's acknowledge some of the stuff that's happened. Some knee jerk, maybe knee jerk, but at least some things have happened in the last couple weeks. Sony purchased Bungie. They were the create, and Bungie was the original developer behind behind Halo. Halo, but what were they known for now? What's their game now? Destiny. Destiny's their game now. It's interesting because they went through some interesting things because remember when they first started out, they were a Mac developer and Steve Jobs was eyeing. Oh, that's right. And and they then, that story. That and I think that's right. They and and Jobs even demoed uh, demoed. Yeah, on the Mac and that before they ended up going to Xbox and Microsoft, and then after that, Microsoft bought them out and stuff like that. Then. They had the Amical uh, split and stuff like that, and they started uh, figuring out Destiny and then teamed up, ironically, with Activision uh, Blizzard on that one to help them out on that one. And now they're at Sony, so funny how those things uh, go about, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's that. It's not insignificant, but you put that right beside what happened with Blizzard or Activision Blizzard. Eh. So there's that. 
Nintendo, for its part... Oh, and Sony also said, uh, what, it's kind of multi-platform, right? Yeah, now, remember, they started a bit of that in relation to, uh, remember, MLB The Show is going to be on all the platforms, including uh, Switch and Xbox and all that stuff. And so there, it used to be, remember, just exclusive to Sony, and so that's nice to see. And if you see the MVP edition with uh, Show Otani, that is quite a piece they have there. I forget which uh, manga artist or creator from Japan did that art, but it's really stunning of him. Like, And I think they have him in the middle, and he looks like he's powering up from Dragon Ball, and then you have him on the one side pitching and the other side uh, batting, so to speak. You know what I mean? To show his dual nature i guess hmm. i guess but uh yeah no that uh and i think they said like for bungie for and they acquired them for 3.6 billion dollars and that's still a considerable sum of money and some of that deal as they said obviously that was longer term planning stuff like that and they said straight out even though i don't know why people were saying this but they thought it was reaction. they said no this deal was ongoing and stuff like that just happened that announced now and that's why i suspected i i figured the activision microsoft one as i said is one of those rare occurrences of microsoft swooping in to take advantage of a situation and try to buy it low even though that's a ridiculous price and then uh, we'll see how that goes but this one probably was on simmer it just happened this is how the dice fall and when it was announced but some people i guess online seem to think everything is a reaction right Right. So, Nintendo. But you want, and, as they said uh, before, we said you were saying uh, multi-platform too, right? And what are you gonna say to that? Some of that is to uh, help them out with uh, projects like MLB the Show and maybe some other ones they want to do. And obviously, they said Destiny will stay multi-platform. So and bring maybe Sony some more benefit to their uh, back-end online capabilities, right? Which many hope is develops uh, pretty soon. Ironically, as you said, Nintendo, if anyone needed help on figuring out the internet, it would be Nintendo, even though they still make tons of money. <laughs> Nintendo, for its part, has always said they're, or at least uh, over the last week, what was the quote by... The DNA, man. Yeah, the Shintaro DNA. Fumi. No, it's Shintaro uh, Furukawa, like, president of nintendo now and it's interesting because like in that company as we said regardless of where you go whether it's in kyoto whether it's in redmond washington noa whether it's in germany for nintendo of europe and stuff like that whether it's in canada for in vancouver for them like as they said it's the nintendo dna and a lot of those partners if they have that feeling they're going to go and get them and they aren't paying ridiculous amounts of money even though they do have prior sizable war chest and stuff like that of cash as we know and even the last acquisition for next level games in um, bc in vancouver that one was because they were looking to sell and they didn't want to lose them because they had a great relationship for the mario sports game and for them working on uh, the luigi man luigi's uh, mansion game so they decided to just buy them up and Obviously, they had that relationship, so they said, okay, you have that, we have that feeling, right? Even like uh, Monolith, they had that feeling and stuff like that before, so that's why uh, 
they seem to buy the companies. So they aren't in any arms race, so to speak. They uh, play by their own rules. And as many of them have said, they are a very Kyoto-based uh, company, and they run to uh, the beat of their own drum. It was, yeah, it was just interesting that they're not the most, like whatever hardware they come out with is not the most technologically advanced, but it's always, there's a quirk to it that makes it work anyway. Well, it, as they an, said, it's, it's a very, about fun. Yeah, it's, it if, a very, if they can get joy and bring joy out of people, that is one of their big factors they look at. And you can see that in the games. It's like whenever I play a Nintendo game, I know I'm going to get some really solid gameplay and it's going to give me some joy. It's going to take me out of my life and give me a moment that I will experience something. I'll put a smile on my face. I don't know how that'll be, but usually they'll find a way, right? Usually, yes. Well, on the topic of joy and playing games, I should just mention my uh, late the uh, as I continued playing the, with the PlayStation Five over the last week, uh, I just experienced a little bit of frustration playing Streets of Rage Four. But uh, maybe I'll share that in, in the near future. Maybe, and we can play that against each other as we knew. Well, not against each other. I think we can even play that co-op, Mike, well, we because it is cross-platform too, of course. So. Yeah. But uh, also, it, it definitely brought back uh, the old school uh, oh, no, it's, it's rage nature. I thought they did a great job, Lizard's Cube, in that, didn't you? I, I it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. It, it, it it's. I, I've had to rethink about the way I play beat 'em up games. It had a lot more, almost fighting game style, mentality, like juggles and positioning. And a lot of people thought had to think about how they want to bring it to a modern audience too, right? Like the next one that'll be interesting is they're doing. Uh, I think it's um, Tribute Games is helping out with it, but Dot Mu and them are doing uh, Shredder's Revenge, which is a new uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, beat 'em up game that's coming in the spring, mm-hmm. which will be interesting to see how that turns out. Well, it'll make me want to play or like look forward to playing River City Girls when the time comes. Although I get the feeling something else will um, occupy me soon enough. Well, you have tons of time to try out uh, the first game, and I know River City Girls Zero is coming out probably in the next few months, and that's. Uh, them finally bringing over the SNES game and they added a few little tweaks and stuff like that, like the manga style opening and stuff like that. And one of the songs and they're working, I know way forward. Hopefully they think by the end of the year, but you never know uh, the second river city girls uh, game, which will be interesting to see what they would do then. Mm -hmm. But it did have me thinking about something and James and I kind of Mo James and I kind of talked about this, in discord last week we had met up just to just to look ahead so and it's a bit of a shame that kevin and jeff aren't here because they're the ones who kind of made me think of this when we talked about the acquisition last episode jeff and kevin to a lesser degree kind of expressed well there's nothing in their library that says there'd be games that they would sleep over if it didn't end up on platforms that they play, i.e. Switch. And to a lesser degree, I guess, me on a PS5. And they mentioned certain games, and it had me thinking, okay, there's a certain style of game, gamer, that probably subscribes a lot more to Switch. 
and to a lesser degree, PlayStation, but really not as much the Xbox. So it had me thinking about the typical, well, or almost stereotypical, but the type of fans that are within our overlap, our fandom as anime fans, and then video and video games, the type, the actual anime, anime style type video games, which had me thinking that's not really an Xbox thing. They're more Nintendo and and PlayStation type. I guess in a way, Mike, some of those games probably do show up on PlayStation and Xbox. It's just some people probably decide that they want to get it on the Switch, and sometimes it's the dual portable and console nature. But some of those, a lot of those indie games, like, People are old enough now. They grew up with those uh, NES and SNES and even now the N64 and the Sega Genesis, those type of games, right, that were coming out of Japan and those visions. And you don't have those from AAA gaming or those bigger developers. And so a lot of them are going out on their own, and they have been for the past so it's less... almost decade and a half, So it's, it's and creating those visions themselves. And they know the DNA because they've played those games and they're bringing those visions to life with modern sensibilities. Hmm. So it's less, it's less, you know, it's just, it's just a chance for independence. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that again, because I, uh, was it Yacht Club Games had a little announcement earlier this week. They were the makers, of course, of Shovel Knight. And that was quite successful. And somehow for half a decade, They've been working through their stretch goals through the different campaigns, and they still uh, managed to grow their team from 5 to 20. And so this week, they finally announced they have a new game that isn't about Shovel Knight, and it's called uh, The Howler. And it's going to be an interesting game. Interesting enough, they are going back to Kickstarter, and that caused controversy with some people because they said, oh, well, they've gotten so big now, they can fund it pretty much themselves and they admit some of the funding is coming from them but they want to build that community and stuff like that but i would say to people it's true they are going to kickstarter again and their goal was basically a dollar over what they reached for shovel knight but some of it is that they are just 20 people they aren't like for example platinum games which did a kickstarter for uh, wonderful 101 and they had way more backing and money than Yacht club games did so i'm not too uh I don't really care too much. I'm like, I think it's fair they can go to Kickstarter and get some money and stuff like that people to help them mitigate that risk. People call themselves Kickstarter companies, for God's sakes. So, But uh, Yacht Club, to say the least, for Mina the Howler, it's something to be interested. It's different than Shovel Knight. It's actually similar vein. So it's going to be uh, a Game Boy Color-like game, and it's going to be a mix of Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening and Oracle games with Castlevania and all these other sensibilities. So it, it'll be really interesting, different from what they've done, not a platformer. So it's kind of more of a Zelda-like adventure game. And they had a demo, so if you've seen the demos, it's looking good already. Shovel Knight's been... I, I've, whenever I've uh, perused certain Twitch streams, I see people playing Shovel Knight. It's, it's a thing right now with some people. And it looks like an insanely frustrating game, too. Have you played it, James? I was an original uh, backer and stuff like that. And they definitely, like, they were small in that, but they built the community 
and the five of them and stuff like that. And it took a while before they got to launch. But once they launched, they found that success. And then as they admitted, they said they had some luck too, because they had all these different console launches like the Switch so that when they did, for example, one of their campaigns, they uh, uh, married it to the Switch launching. So they got more sales and stuff like that. But the one thing they joked is they definitely did not skimp on their stretch goals. Like they said, okay, we'll have these three campaigns and they could have just done some skins of the free boss nights and probably called it a day. But no, they didn't do that. They just went full in and said, we're making their own adventures and doing the levels different and doing their own game, so to speak, like creating another game from scratch, which is ridiculous. And they were all good. And this was all adding on to the base game. Everyone who had the base game originally got it for free, which is kind of ridiculous. Now, they did uh, increase the price of Shovel Knight. So, like, Treasure Trove at the moment is about, I think, $39.99. And I think that's U.S., but I could be wrong. And that includes all of the adventures and stuff like that. So, the original Shovel Knight, Plague Knight, uh, Spectre Knight, and uh, King Knight, and the uh, weird fighting game they created, too. But... They, uh, it's crazy to think that. And then they've had some spinoffs. They had help with some other indie developers. Like they had a puzzle uh, game they released in December. And then they have Shovel Knight Dig, which they're hoping to get out too. And they've had different merchandising they've done with uh, other companies like Fangamer for plushies and all these other things. So they've definitely like built a brand and a community around it. And I think they can do the same, obviously, with uh, Mina the Howler. Like we're already seeing fan art just a few days after the announcement and they've already got the funding and stuff like that. Like, let's see where it's at right now mm -hmm. at the moment. You're looking this up. So their original goal was $311,503. And that was a dollar more than what they got for shovel Knight. So they randomly selected that number and what they've gotten so far is $671,000 basically at, time of this recording so they definitely have a lot of people behind them and even more backers than the last time it's like eleven thousand eight hundred fifty backers at the moment it's crazy amount so there's a lot of love for what they've shown so far probably for the company itself that's pretty cool okay can i play the thought with mo that i played with you last week uh, james go ahead let mo uh, get in on this here okay so when I started to look a little bit more, like it had me thinking after we taped the episode and then I listened and read a little bit more about the deal itself. Remember Activision Blizzard, one of the other components within it is King Games, the mobile developer behind Candy Crush. And when you look at what generated revenue within the whole Activision Blizzard umbrella last year, or at least uh, throughout the pandemic, <laughs> well, it sounded like Candy Crush was the biggest revenue generator. And Microsoft stated that part of this play is also thinking about mobile in the future. And I thought about where Sony is in their future, and this is before the Bungie acquisition. And I came to the conclusion, and this isn't a anything earth-shattering, but 
at least I can start to see it for myself. Sony and Microsoft, to me, are beginning to think past the consoles. Like they're looking at how everything for their entertainment business or their video game business will be past the Xbox and PlayStation brands, even if it means the consoles die, but they're just thinking beyond their consoles. Microsoft, with their acquisitions, there's a clear movement more towards mobile and cloud gaming. Sony, we talked about in the past with their fourth pillar and wanting to focus more on anime. But the only thing that has surprised me to this point is they haven't pushed their Funimation and Crunchyroll brands more, I think, to the to their video game users. And it very much sounds like this. it figures very much into their plans for their PlayStation base. So while I'm, th- I'm saying that they're thinking beyond consoles, where they're thinking may- might be completely different. I think it depends on which uh, Parasonia you're looking at too, right? Because Fate Grand Order did quite well for them mobile-wise across the world, I believe. And that's Anaplex. I think it's just using some of the IPs as well. Mm-hmm. But I, it's just, it just boggled me. Like, it just, all these thoughts start to race into my head concerning where where I'm thinking this could go in the future. And it's not to say I'm a strategist of any sort. It's just I'm just trying to, you know, read the tea leaves or watch where the puck goes, so to speak. But what's your thought, Mo? I mean, well, James, you want to state your thought and then we'll ask Mo's thought on this on this thought, this theory? Uh, no, I'll let uh, Mo go ahead. I think I've uh, talked quite a bit already this episode. Wait, Mike. You kind of cut off there. What was your theory? Hold on, Mike. What you, no, what I'm just thinking. Not, not, not totally a theory, but it just sounds like my, Microsoft and Sony are just really starting to think past their Xbox and PlayStation brands, or not necessarily the end of the consoles. Just what else? What, what other stuff they can do in the? Well, I'm, well I mean, it's I, tough, or, man. That's tough. It's it, it, or is it still too jumbled to really say? Because maybe it is, but it just had me thinking about it. I mean, obviously they're thinking of the future, right? I mean, the console may not be what we have today in like twenty years, ten years. So I mean, obviously that's hmm. Because I mean, sooner or later there's going to be like universal hardware that everyone just has, you know, some sort of supercomputer kind of situation. Everyone will. Be a part you know, of the PC master. Part of, yeah, but the key exactly. part of it is 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 accessibility and affordability. Something that anybody can pick up. A smartphone is as close as we've come to this point. I mean, I think it's going to get to the point where enough people who play any video games whatsoever will have enough technical skills to build their own PC, and consoles will just be a thing of the past. Well, yeah, it's just that, like when we talked about, I, I don't know what at at one at some point in the, I don't know if it happened if it was in the latter stages of the PS3 and Xbox 360 generation or the beginning of the PS4 Xbox One generation. We thought there was this thinking, what was the point of coming out with another console? And then seven years later, here we are 
in the early stages of at least the series, the Xbox Series S and X, and the PlayStation 5 eras. And they're, at least to gamers, it's in the news, maybe in the case of PlayStation 5 for the wrong reasons. But it, but it's still very much top uh, in mind. So the console world has endured at least for another decade, maybe past what a lot of people uh, initially would have thought. But, is, but you can see an end. You can see an end, Mo, of this. Sounds like it. No, I'd say we, we figure there will be an end at some point. It's probably coming closer than we think, but there's still probably a few console generations uh, to come and stuff like that. But obviously, other players are thinking about, well, what's happening? Obviously, GameStop has had to figure out digital gaming and stuff like that and how to keep their stores going and things like that. And obviously for Microsoft and Sony, we're seeing what that future would look like without consoles because Microsoft has gained traction with Gamer Pass and then uh, Sony is probably going to launch their version, so to speak, of whatever PlayStation Now is going to become later this year if the reports are correct and it'll probably have a tiered subscription and we're probably going to have some of those ps1 ps2 and ps3 games uh, somehow uh, integrated to them too and maybe even some of the portable stuff for uh, psp and uh, vita maybe even so that it'll play obviously on their console but obviously as time goes on it'll play on other devices and stuff like that and we know for uh, game pass for microsoft it can be not just on your Xbox, on your console, it can be on your PC as well. And cloud computing is probably your cloud gaming is going to play a factor in that too as well, even though as we heard this week, Google's given up pretty much on Stadia. Yeah, that has me thinking. And by the way... Uh, which, is, which is sad, which is sad. I mean, I had hopes for Stadia, you know, cloud gaming, you know, one day we'll get there. Who's to say it won't? I? Who's to say that it won't be renewed? It, it, well, just to update, and once again, being an iPhone guy, this isn't on iPhone anyway. They're trying to push the arcade. But that's uh, what, what uh, kind of came into my head. Maybe I wish I recorded it better. I could have organized my thoughts a little better at the time. James and I talked about it. But maybe on a personal level, I could start to see it too. If we had been talked about it. I was just trying to think in my head the bridge by which... That would happen. Now I'm, I'm just beginning to see that bridge being built where console gaming stopped being a thing. So maybe uh, next time Jeff and uh, Kevin are on, uh, I can get, I can pick their brains on this as well. But it all depends. Like there's still many things out there unknowns depending on how hard they push and if they want to find success as well. Like we've heard about Netflix making the rumblings and depending on how they decide to incorporate gaming for themselves, right? That's another thing that there, there could seems to be make others want to be less stuck to one platform. And we've seen Sony take some of their first party titles and put them onto PC. And some people thought that was unthinkable, right? And then, and then there's that. And then there's, to me, there's what Apple want out of this. In whichever form, whether they're doing it by themselves or... Letting, letting Sony in, 
Microsoft use their their um, hardware for their services. And we've already known there, that it could be problematic. That's what sort of came to mind. And I know that's not necessarily anime related. It's just, it is within our fandom at overlap. It'll be interesting though. And because of so, uh, the way Sony is so, you know, looking to rule the anime world, what happens with the video games or on the video game side to me kind of matters and time will tell how much it will. Okay. Well, what, what, what did you, I, sorry, I cut you off, James. Yeah. It's like, I, I was thinking about uh, a few thoughts that we could finish off. It's like, we know uh, on the acquisition side, ironically, it's still going to be uh, continuing because we heard about uh, Dorito Pope's, uh, he was doing a tweet. I think that's Jeff Keighley's probably official name now. He probably should change his name to that. But uh, Jeff Keighley was tweeting out that there are probably some more acquisitions in final stages that he has heard about. And whether those cross the line will be interesting. But there's more to come. And we'll see uh, who's buying who, I guess. And it doesn't have to be other uh, video games buy companies buying another company. We've seen other things, too. Like, I know Saudi Arabia, the investment fund of uh, their ruler, of course. Remember, they had taken a majority chunk and bought out a lot of SNK. So they pretty much own SNK now. But this week, we found out they took a minority stake in Capcom. They bought 5% of Capcom. So that'll be interesting to see. So they've been, uh, either they really enjoy fighting games, or I don't know. It's interesting to see how that'll play out for some of them who buys who and we know some of the chinese companies because of what's been going on there they've had to look outside and they've been uh, investing in different uh, western companies and different video game companies right so it'll be interesting to see what tencent and other companies like them uh, bring to the table so to speak yeah and even the financial reports we've been hearing about coming out uh, end of this month it's been interesting to see how that's been playing out as well because COVID, I think, has affected this beginning of this console generation. I think it has kind of made it that the last one, PS4, and the Xbox uh, One are kind of still kind of going, but we haven't seen any newer games, right? Or that are just exclusive to PS5 or Xbox Series X it's... that really have allowed people to buy them if they could even get one to begin with. So I feel like it's going to be a longer tail to get these out the door, uh, especially to compete with scalpers and everything else, right? Because a lot of them have been sold online only. And it's even affected Nintendo because they're affected by the chip shortage and all these other things too. And so they admitted their next console, they're delaying some planning and different things. So it might come a bit later because things are so tight right now in the supply chain and everything else. Yeah, well, you can almost like partly blame the uh, pandemic, I guess. Well, there's so many uh, problems, right? It's like things being on ships. And so once one uh, kink in the system happens, uh, it just affects everything else. Oh, yeah, it right? has, a, has a ripple effect. Anyway. And then, of course, uh, human nature, too, with the scalpers and that. So one day, uh, I'll be like you, Mike. I might have a PS5. I'm guessing, what, two years, three years? Hey, hey, that, you might that, get, hey you'll probably get an, uh, an improved version. Or maybe not. 
I mean, well, at least I know by that time those first, some of those games we've been talking about, right? They should be cheaper, right? Sure. <laughs> but the thing is, it's it's strange because I know there's been some teardowns of the the PlayStations as they first came out back at the end of 2020, and then the no, recent, they have an updated version. I know now, so I'm not sure which one you. Got. Oh, I'm almost for sure the updated ones. But here, the key thing is they've taken out some cooling components, mainly heat sinks. Like according to a lot of the teardowns, yeah, it's the heating and stuff like and that. How they've been done and, and all that stuff. So, I think you'll be fine though, because where you have it is an open area. So, I think whether you had one or the other, heating would be fine for you. And I usually keep mine in a relatively open area. Like some people, I don't know why you would want to confine your console. Yeah, I try and put as much. Uh, yeah, I try and keep as much around it, and I think it'll be fine where it is for now. But I, I'll share some. I'll share what it looks like to you at some point. And I'll share a little bit with uh, the viewers, both of them, at some point on Twitch and YouTube as well. Okay. Thinking of YouTube, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of YouTube, how much do you want to talk about to- uh, the Totally Not Mark situation, the latest in that? Do you want to just acknowledge it a little bit and then maybe we'll talk a little bit further? Because this is... There's some thoughts in there that I think are a little bit more that caught my attention that I really haven't had a chance to digest. I, I frankly haven't digested much of the story, to be honest. At least I, can, I can go over it and if uh, you or Mo want to say some words, but it, it, it definitely feels like whack-a-mole with how some of these companies go after people on YouTube and how they feel about content and stuff like that. And that sometimes you need like, a guardian angel from above that randomly comes to you from inside Alphabet or Google on the YouTube team to help you out. So Mark was lucky enough, as he said, to have someone contact him through Discord that was high up enough, I guess, in YouTube to help him out and figure this thing out so that he didn't lose all those videos. But the way they decide to do it, and some people have had this happen to them before, some of them haven't. So there's no clear policy, which is ridiculous to think about. But in essence, they would take down the conflicted videos in Japan and elsewhere in the world, they would stay up. So basically what they were saying is that in places where copyright law and stuff like that is different and they would be considered fair use like the U.S. and stuff like that, they would stay up. But it was interesting, too, to see how this all began, because he got some insight that he couldn't even uh, believe, as he said, because he said he finally got the human voice. But he said he found out from them that Toei had actually went to YouTube first. And for these uh, 150 videos or whatever you want to call them, they wanted to just copyright strike them outright. And basically take them down and that would probably kill his channel, so to speak. And so YouTube uh, and basically delete the content from his channel outright. And basically YouTube decided, okay, we're not going to do that. And they said, okay, you have to provide justification why we should just delete and destroy this man's channel. And they didn't come back. And instead, they went by that whack-a-mole and basically started doing automated... uh, claiming tools to go after the videos which is what we saw which is pure like i don't know how to describe it but utter ridiculousness and he even admitted that when they finally got to the meeting and were talking about things 
he said when they were talking about issues with videos and stuff like that, he said it was either baffling or inconsistent about the videos that they still wanted down or that they deemed to be like in violation or something like that. There was so in so much inconsistency that they probably didn't understand. Like he's like, okay, where are they coming from? Maybe they're coming from a Japanese perspective. Right. But it just boggled the mind. And at least he found some semblance of he's able to get those videos back in other parts of the world and stuff like that. And that hopefully they'll just be down from Japan and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean some companies won't come after other people later on. Right. Which which, still isn't a policy. Right. And there's stories on that already. Another YouTuber named Swade has talked about his dealings with ShowPro, the uh, company behind Pokemon. We'll put that article up. This is a longer story, and I know... Like, I'd like to talk about this a little more, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, because I've had a couple of conversations with friends, and essentially they, they presented a devil's advocate argument for me. And I still have yet to wrap my my head around it, so I want to try to do so. And, and it's weird too, long. right? Like, like I mean, there is a something to be said about companies like Toei and ShowPro that maybe there's some defense there because it is their property. They, they do want it to be perceived a certain way. And it's interesting. Hopefully, this will lead to more like consistency because. They are talking in articles and things he's talked about in the video that YouTube's new copyright rule or that somehow they will be more forceful on this policy across the board, saying that it allows owners like Toei or the copyright holder videos to remove from, say, Japan's YouTube site, but then said videos will remain up in other territories as long as they fall under the country's fair use policies. Mm-hmm. And it says, and so hopefully that works out. But it's say, for example, those companies give no fucks and they don't understand the differences between countries in that they're just going to continue on. And we saw that kind of with Toei, how they treated him, where they went directly to the source and they said, well, we don't like your well, answer. There's... So we're just going to go another route, right? The thing is, there, there, there's plenty of avenues that companies can go through and it can be almost... It can be almost strategic lawsuit against public participation type stuff. And that's, that's the crux of, of Swade's issues with uh, ShowPro right now, seemingly. But yeah, this is like, there's, and there's your other, there's another whack-a-mole type take, right? It's a, another sidestep. But this is like, I don't know. It feels like a gauntlet has now been thrown on anime YouTubers over this. And Totally Not Mark could be just the beginning of something even more drawn out. I mean, seemingly there's a battle, or at least a battle, a safe face win here for Totally Not Mark. I get the feeling there's there's more to come. This is a part of a I hate to use win a battle but a but but a bigger war. I hate to use that metaphor right now because of the way the world is. Just I get the feeling there's more to this. And we'll hear more about it later on. And and I and I know 
we're kind of copying out on the topic right now. It's just, it's, it's one of those things we'll have to keep revisiting because, you know, we're, we're approaching this as further content creators, although ours is all audio, but we are moving a little bit more into the YouTube side, into, into the Twitch side, just slowly, but we're not anywhere close to established as people like totally not Mark or Swade or the trash taste trio or any of the um, popular Twitch, uh, Twitch streams that are out there these days or uh, YouTube channels that are out there. And it's, you know, almost countless at this point, but obviously have gained a lot more traction than we have. And in many respects, that is their livelihood. And it sounds like there's at least some saber rattling that could put some of that in danger. So I know we'll, we'll talk about it a little more as just observers here as time goes. It's hard to say uh, if uh, they'll figure it out and stuff like that. If they understand uh, how the internet works, as they say, or how uh, the business changes. Like I know earlier this week there was takedown notices, and it was a not a major YouTube channel, but a major one for uh, gaming music. And they had a lot of obviously Nintendo OSTs and stuff like that, and some other ones on there and obviously they were within their rights at least nintendo uh to ask for those to be taken down but i guess i could understand some of the fans where they said well where can we get these because they have in japan released cds and things like that but online nintendo hasn't really released their classic music and osts and stuff like that that people would gobble up and so they're like why is it on why is it not on something like spotify and stuff like that and so there definitely feels like there's a slowness in places like Japan where they kind of need to catch up and stuff like that because people will give them uh, money. But this understanding of things like YouTube and Twitch, I don't know why it still isn't there, but hopefully people are talking to them to get them uh, with the time, so to speak, right? Oh, yeah. It's one of those. Well, we, we've had this long conversation about East and West or like how... As, uh, as back in the case of Japan, as they have to, as they try and go outside of their borders, that they have to change some of their way of thinking, but also for the West as well. When if they're going to try and associate with Japanese creators uh, and IP, they have to also be careful or at least uh, respect the way business is done. So I'm wondering where the middle is in this. I think we know, Mike. It's on the fax machine. It just got to do business (laughs) by fax machine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Do you know what a fax machine is, Mo? I don't know fax machines. Not that young. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, he he because because he he was initially supposed to get Moderna. So that that tells them where. So that <laughs> and, oh. and he held out today for Pfizer. Way to go, Mo. I mean, you know, gotta go all both Pfizer ways, right? 
Well, you go, you, well, consistency is not a bad thing necessarily. So, although, although, off, although there's a lot of different arguments, just trust me on this one. I can tell you that off air. Anyway, well, about an hour in, about what, 70 minutes in, I think we're, I admit, I just admit uh, being a little bit weary or just a little bit tired this week. I so have not kept up with other stuff. I think you know what my habits have been away from work, just playing uh, playing games. And I get the feeling my habits over the next the coming week will be to watch the odd Olympic thing. Not so much the anime stuff. I mean, if I get a notification that something's happening, I might check it out. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't I, know, man. It's just <laughs> well, I mean. I still did not get to finish up the last three episodes of Squid Game, strangely. It's okay, man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. That's what I'm told. You're not the, you're not the only person who's told me, by the way. I mean, once, once, you get, once you get to six, it's kind of all downhill from there. Really? Are you, being on, are you honestly mean, saying that? It's not bad. It's just not as good as six. You know? Sadly, you know what? Uh, the other thing that I've been watching, or at least I at least saw one episode of, because I stumbled upon it as a suggestion afterwards. And I guess this is the Netflix algorithm doing its magic on me. Episode one of Singles Inferno. If you don't know what that is. That's like, it's a Korean show. It's a Korean show set on. Think of it as Terrace House, but with a little bit more of a cutthroat. That's what I think it'll lead to. Somewhere, something between... Terrace House and Bachelor in Paradise, which 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 yeah. is which may not which is, sounds like it's it's already leading to some sort of disaster, which will be all a lot of fun to watch. But that's what it felt like. I mean, at least after everything that happened to Terrace House over the last two years, to be fair to a show like Singles Inferno, at least it's honest. In that sense, after everything that happened to Terrace House, so. But there's a there's a suggested watch for you, even if it's just to watch the first five minutes, Mo. You'll get what the concept is, and then you'll probably watch that thing, and then realize, oh, it's going to go down that road, and then you can decide whether or not you want to watch the crash afterwards. After one episode, I will probably uh, take my time, but I'll probably ultimately watch a little bit more. I mean, there's that new Korean zombie. Sh- oh, yeah, that's uh, 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 was it. Each one in high school. No, that's something else. Uh, all, all of us are dead. Oh yeah, that's right. All of us are dead. That which seems which was trending as of this week. I know that. Thank you. I I forgot the title, but I knew it was trending. It reminds me of High School of Dead. Okay. Okay. Well, and there's that. And you know what? The the other thing I want to finish up, and James, did you watch it already? The final episode of uh, Maiko-san, Chino Makanai-san? Did you watch the last yes. episode of Kion Kyoto? Yes, I did. What did you think? They finished it. I think they finished it because that's actually a very long manga series. So I think the way they finished it up, they found a chapter that really worked as something that you could end a series, a short series like that on, you know what I mean? Where it's about both of them and then 
where they one Michael experiencing her her day, you know what I mean, in the kitchen. Stuff oh yeah, like that's that. right. The, because the halfway point of the series talked about Keo having a day off, so that makes sense. About they do something sense. for Simuti, right? Yeah, to have her day off and then experience book and her going shopping, you know, in the supermarket to get something. I'll be honest, I haven't seen the episode yet, but oh, don't worry about shoot. it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it because I'll I'll see it eventually. No, I was so I'm trying to remember. Were you watching that on Crunchyroll or I NXT watched the World? World version? We we talked about okay this because already. I've been watching watch Crunchyroll's version. So as I and we stated, the only real difference between the two one, the Crunchy Crunchyroll always shows the Japanese. Uh, printed credits whereas nhk showed the credits strictly in english and the other key thing is the narrator that's the only difference the narrator is english language dubbed in in the nhk version it's actually hannah grace who's a regular voiceover announcer for nhk world and the crunchyroll version is is a i don't know who it is but it's she's obviously in japanese japanese Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, and it adds a, the tone, I think, there's a warm tone that I sense in Hannah Grace when she does things, when she does her explanations. And I don't know if that necessarily comes out in the Japanese voice, and maybe that's me speaking as somebody who doesn't know Japanese. But that's just a, a contrast I, I noticed. That's just something I noticed, just watching a little bit about the uh, couple minutes of the Crunchyroll version. But I'll, I'll give it a watch, and maybe just uh, we'll talk about it again. At least uh, we'll talk about it again as uh, the Netflix live action happens a little later this year. Anyway, I know this is just one of those episodes we kind of cobbled together, right? Because, you know, we were all busy this week. Did you want to talk uh, a funny anime story, Mike? Oh well, it'll be maybe a nice way to end the episode. Why don't you? Why don't you go? Go for it. Okay, so we all remember about uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, of course, and Shell Factory uh, releasing it, and uh, it was interesting that they decided they were going to do a replacement program because supposedly there was an issue with Disc Five, and ironically, it was so funny they. It had something to do with one of the extras, nothing to do with any of the shows or anything like that. So any other distributor, I think, just would have let it go, but they did not. So in Disc 5, they had a bonus feature for the end of Evangelion deleted live action scene. And it didn't have any English language subtitles for it. So the fixed disc has those subtitles, and that's why they did the program. So they did it through uh, their website. And uh, for those with the regular edition and the special edition, they said, okay, just uh, send us your information, then send us proof, which is either your receipt, a picture of that, or a picture of the set. And uh, then they would send it to you. Now, for the people that sprung for that, remember the Ultimate Edition that was going just for Shout Factory? That one has finally started shipping they weren't able to get the disc in time to put it in there, which is funny enough. So that one, they have a replacement program for that. Those people only have to put in their order number for that one because obviously uh, they had to order from Shelf Factory Direct. But um, the flub up is you had that. But then on top of that, 
I guess they started this program in November, right? So the only ones that had started to get uh, those requests were for the regular edition of uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. And that regular edition just had uh, the series and the two movies and all that. And it was the new dub from Netflix and stuff like that, right? And so instead of getting just disc five, like they were supposed to when uh, they got their replacement, they got the special edition, just the full special edition. And that included like everything, including uh, the original dub and stuff like that which wasn't in the regular edition. So I'm just thinking to myself, that's crazy. And so and ex- they must have done expensive. And they must have done it to a decent amount of people because supposedly they sent out an email to people who received this. So it must have been big enough that they wanted to get them back. So they sent an email and this is what they said in the email. They said, thank you so much for Ordering uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion Complete Series. Recently, you've requested we send you a replacement for disc 5 of this set. When your order was processed, the warehouse mistakenly selected the limited collector's edition and shipped that to you instead of the replacement disc. We apologize for this error and are processing the order for your replacement disc. We would like to ask that the product shipped in air be returned to us. We realize that you may not have kept the box, so we will ship your replacement disc to you in a carton that you can use to return the series set. In the next day or so, we will be sending you a new box and a UPS return label, no cost to you, and we will be offering you a $50 shopping spree on the shout site to make an effort uh, for making the effort of dropping off the uh, returned item to the UPS store to get it back to us. And so I'm just thinking to myself, there's no way anyone over under returned those to Shell Factory, especially if they sent them the disc and stuff like that in a big thing. Because they're like, wait a sec, I originally had something that didn't have the original dub and didn't have all this extra cool stuff, but now I have this, and what can they do? They can't do anything, right? Right. Well... Well, they could do something, but they wouldn't look like the greatest company, right? What's the over-under on all of this? What's the over I bet you they didn't get any returns on those. Especially if they were from people that just had the standard edition. It's a one and a probably an under. So I don't know, man. I I think you guys are underestimating the people that that buy from them. I feel like they will get like 20% of the orders back, maybe. But how many people are actually going to shop from their website, right? Like, they sometimes have some little, small little trinker, whatever, right? They have for some of their G-Kid stuff and things like that. But I don't think there's many people that are saying, eh, I'll give it back and maybe I'll have something to get later on, especially if it was standard edition. Because they're like, you're already sending me this fixed disc. I now have a better version than what I had before. It's like, come at me. Yeah, it's like the right thing to do, right? Uh, you think there's more honest people than uh, we think, Hummo? Um, huh, I, I have I, I, right? love your lo, lo, love, uh, love your rose-colored glasses. There, you're a good man. You're a good man, Mo. Real good man. <laughs> Ironically, I'll tell you. Um, so I did get the special edition from Right Stuff of the uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and they. When I put in for it, 
they actually got relatively quick, but they just sent me uh, in a sleeve the correct disc. So, but I probably would have returned it because I don't need two uh, special editions. So, so it could have been a push on the over under on my over under. <laughs> well, I think probably by the time we, I got, because remember, um, standard editions were in very beginning of November, and the special editions didn't ship till December, and the ultimate editions didn't ship till end of January. So since I didn't get mine till end of December, I'm sure this was like, must have been early December, end of November that this happened. So I bet you it was all just standard edition. So that's why I think there would be less people that would be willing to give it back. Yeah. That's because I'm sure if you figure it out, well, that's it's how well, you play for them, right? Oh. And I wonder how many of those people, when they were buying that standard edition, knew that the original dub was not in there. You know what I mean? Well, they, they got it now. Right? <laughs> and it was all because of just one small little uh, thing on an extra on disc five. Where I swear, any other company, they probably would have not done a disc replacement program on that. Like, it would have had no. to have been a more serious I mean, error. That's I would. the sad part, because they're a little bit, you know, you give them a little credit. It, it's sort of like, like, I had a disc replacement scenario as well. It was with the original Kimigori Orange Road TV series when Animigo had it. Because originally it was made so that the opening credits would happen just once per disc, per volume. You just see the opening credits and then each episode happened successively, but with no closing credits in between the episodes. No closing and opening credits. And they owned up to it. and they and they, I was able to switch the discs without really asking. Really well done. I mean, this is, but that's sort of maybe the boutique, the boutique uh, companies as they were back then. So hearing about it today is kind of a nice little flashback for me. And we had it back in the day too. Remember the biggest bed bug was mono audio. And I know that plagued Jenny on and media blasters, especially media blasters. And sometimes they would do uh, replacement programs for them so that you got the correct stereo thing for either English or Japanese. And sometimes just nothing happened. You just had to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway. But other than that's, that, that's... it's still uh, a fantastic uh, set of discs and stuff like that that they did do with uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. So even if they didn't have this uh, replacement program, I think it would still be worth the buy and stuff like that. And Justin Savakis and his team at Media OCD uh, did the discs and they did a bang up job on them. So there's probably a lot of content to go through for that. That's who they are. Anyway, that's a still a funny story though. I have to admit when I hear hear about that. Anyway, thanks for the thought, though, uh, James. And uh, listen, we'll expand on other stuff uh, hopefully next week. <laughs> We're doing an episode next week, right? Hey, fingers crossed something major happens by then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll. Uh, maybe I won't be nearly as tired. Are we going to do a medal count for uh, Canada? By that point, yeah. Yeah, but maybe we'll talk a little bit more. And maybe I, maybe by then I would have finished uh, Streets of Rage 4. Uh, stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned on that. But in any event, that's all we have for tonight. First time listening, once again, 
AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. At AnimeRoundtable, Twitter and Instagram, AnimeRoundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. And don't forget, we're also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash AnimeRoundtable, and on YouTube with maybe something to add this week. I'll cross my fingers there. And don't forget, back on the podcast side, to give us a review wherever you're enjoying this, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Because reviews, and especially good reviews, will always help us in getting more listeners to stumble upon us. So yeah, we're hoping for five stars, as uh, Kevin would mention. Oh, I thought you were going to ask Mo how many stars or okay, we should use to uh, give us the good reviews. Yeah. How I mean, many stars? Do you want to do your Kevin <laughs> imitation, uh, Mo? I can't. I can't take over Kevin's spot. I mean, for all we know, he could just magically appear at some 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 moment right now. You know. Yeah. Are you saying Kevin is a magical being? <laughs> well, yeah, I think he is. He said so himself. <laughs> We typically do episodes once every other week. That's that's the script. We've been trying to do it more weekly. We failed last week, but we're going to try and do more as much as we can. So regardless, hit the subscribe or follow button on all the platforms we're on so you can be notified whenever we add something new to those feeds. The theme song is entitled Fubuki Snowstorm by Pico Misaki which is the title track of her latest album, Available Now. Check out more of her music at PicoInfinity.com or on her Facebook page at PicoZenMusic. Until next time, thanks for listening. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. for it wait for it hey kevin are you there you made it (laughs) (laughs) i i turned it on and it was literally until next time thanks for listening (laughs) well i'm glad you're alive for starters glad you made it though how's um was traffic bad by by the way? You didn't get caught. No, it was really smooth. Granted, when it's ten when it's nine thirty, ten PM, it usually is smooth unless there's construction. Um you didn't get caught up in any trucker protests, did you? No, thankfully. I was on the four oh one, so I didn't encounter any of that. See, we were and now I'm gonna turn this off because now I got my uh, now I got my ending there. Thank you, Kevin. (laughs) So he is a magical being. Yeah.